At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Back here on The Look Ahead, I'm Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Follow along on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S C O T T S O N A I R, or all of us on the network at VSIN Live. What a profitable Monday night we had as we watched the Home Run Derby from Dodger Stadium. We placed two pre-flop bets on Corey Seager at 9-1. to His odds actually went up to about 10-1 to because people started betting more money on Julio Rodriguez, and we saw why. Uh, Julio put on an absolute show in the Home Run Derby, and we got Juan Soto at 6-1 to plus 600. Here's what I did, as uh, and I tweeted this out also, as you guys follow me, at Scott's On Air. Uh, after I had the Soto bet at plus 600, after, um, after Corey Seager got eliminated in the first round, which was so upsetting to me because, and I know it's a bracket-style format, so you just got to beat who's in front of you, but Corey Seager actually didn't do bad at all. He put up the second most home runs in the first round and was eliminated because he went up against the guy who put up the most home runs in the first round, and that was Julio Rodriguez. So I was not on tilt, but I just wanted a little bit more (laughs) action, and so I put more money on Juan Soto live because I was kind of seeing how the, the, the way that this was playing out. And... Soto had such an easy draw into the finals. And I felt that with the guy that I thought was going to the finals eliminated and Julio doing what he did in the first round, I thought he would tire out and not continue what he did in the first round. So I put more money in live on Juan Soto at plus 450. So I had the six plus 600 before it started the plus 450 at, during the first round, live betting was available all night. And we watched this thing unfold. And Pete Alonso gets by Ronald Acuna Jr. And Soto has an easy time with Jose Ramirez. And the fluke of all flukes, Albert Pujols beats Kyle Schwarber in the first round. Although, did he? And this is, you know, what happens every year. People post on Twitter screenshots, videos, all the stuff about how 
The, the timer went off, but the pitch was thrown, and ESPN counted it. It's not fair. They threw a pitch when the clock hit zero. Or in the Kyle Schwarber case, it was they didn't count the home run. They miscounted a home run. It should have been a tie. It should have went to another swing off. But look, I understand this was a, a, a this is a, an event that we bet on, right? It's also just a fun, fluky. I don't want to call it stupid, but it's not a real thing, right? Like if you're mad about your Kyle Schwarber bets, I'm, he was minus three hundred. What were you, minus four hundred? What were you doing betting that anyway? And then Schwarber to win the event? That wasn't even a smart bet. He was the second favorite. And he would have had to get past a guy like Juan Soto and then go up in the finals. He didn't have... Just, if you bet Kyle Schwarber and you lost, honestly, I don't feel bad for you because it wasn't a smart bet. It just wasn't. Sorry. And it was a nice moment for Albert Pujols. really was. Everyone thought that he had lost. Everyone comes out. But Kyle Schwarber just stunk up the joint as well. He didn't deserve to advance. And so Pujols got a second shot. We got to see him in the second round go up against uh, uh, Juan Soto, which was really fun to watch. And then Soto struggled, actually, in that second round and then was able to um, get past Albert Pujols advanced to the finals. I was so thrilled when Pujols got past Schwarber because then I I knew that Soto was into the finals. And my only worry was what is going to happen in the finals if he has to go up against Pete Alonso. But he didn't. Julio Rodriguez puts on an absolute show once again in the second round. He beats Pete Alonso, and then he runs out of gas in the finals and loses to Juan Soto. But he put up 32 in round one and 31 in round two before, what was it, 16 or 17 in the final round. So just ran out of gas there. And he joins a list of players that stole the, I don't, I don't want to say stole the show, but yeah, you can put it that way, that stole the show without winning the home run derby. And you could say that, yeah, Pete Alonso did a great job last year, but Otani and Soto last year put on an absolute show in the opening round. I mean, Otani was just all the buzz last year. And he didn't even advance past the first round. Lost in the swing-off, a double swing-off to Juan Soto. And then Soto loses by one to Pete Alonso in the semifinal. We all remember... Or if you don't, I suggest you go on YouTube and watch it and watch it. Josh Hamilton, 2008. Was that the 2008 home run derby? 2008 at Yankee Stadium. That was, yep, 2008. Josh Hamilton put one of the all-time great home run derby displays that we have ever seen. And the format was much different than what the format is today. So we know that it is a a complete uh, 
it's it's different. Um, it's it it's now a bracket style. It's now timed. You get the bonus time. Like they've revamped the home run derby, but you used to get. Um, I think it was what ten outs, right? And you would just have you know, anything that wasn't a home run was an out. So it was really. I mean, guys were take. The thing is, it would take forever because guys were taking pitches, right? And you could take as many pitches as you want. Until you swing and and you don't get a home run and it's an out, so you'd sit there, you'd take, you didn't like it, you take, you take, you take, you take, then you swing, and then Chris Berman would do the whole back, 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 gone, and it was great. What a great show! Josh Hamilton hit a then home run derby record of twenty eight homers in the first round, thirteen homers with eight outs. And just by comparison, here were the home run derby results in the first round of the derby. Three, five, six, six, seven, eight, eight, and Josh Hamilton's 28. He hit 20 more home runs than the next guy. It was what an unbelievable show. Basically what the format was, it was like, you had your eight participants. They all hit in the first round. The top four advanced to the second round. And then it was the most combined homers. It would be first place versus second place in the finals. In the finals, Josh Hamilton lost to Justin Morneau. But that home run derby, it's like people don't remember that Justin Morneau won the home run derby. Because that home run derby will be forever remembered by Josh Hamilton's performance at Yankee Stadium. I mean, he was he was hitting the back wall at the old Yankee Stadium. It was just an unbelievable display. And that's what I think we saw from Julio Rodriguez. Julio put on an absolute show. And yes, you know, Juan Soto is a young star that, you know, we're not going to forget that he won this event, but Julio was really the story of this home run derby. A coming out party for the eventual, the likely American League Rookie of the Year. He was the American League Rookie of the Month for May and for June. And uh, there's no stopping this kid right now. He's on an absolute, excuse me, tear this season. And he will go on to win the American League Rookie of the Year and be a star in this league for years to come. And I'm excited to see what he does in the All-Star game coming up here on Tuesday night. In fact, um, I was looking and I think I saw somewhere. Let's see if I can pull it up. There were some online props for the All-Star Game MVP. And, yep, here we go. All-Star Game MVP. Julio is 50-1 to to be the All-Star Game MVP. Now, this is difficult because you might not get that many at-bats. Maybe you get one or two at-bats. But let's say you hit a home run or you uh, hit a triple or do something that that is you know, helps your team win this game. You could be named the All-Star Game MVP. Julio, who put on an absolute show here in the Home Run Derby, could do something special in the game on Tuesday night. He is 50-1 to one to win the All-Star Game MVP. Your favorite is Shohei Otani, who is leading off of the American League. He's at plus 480. Aaron Judge, plus 600. Vladdy Jr. plus 850, Mookie Betts plus 950, and hey, what a safe bet Mookie would be, right, in his home stadium of Dodger Stadium. 
Uh, we'll talk more about the All-Star game and uh, specifically my favorite play for the game a little bit later on coming up. But first, we have to get into college football. Chris the Bear Felica will join me coming up next as uh, I want to talk to him about conference realignment and just the landscape of college football as a whole before we preview some actual uh, teams here looking ahead to the upcoming uh, season and who he likes to uh, represent some of these major conferences. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. We'll be joined by Chris Bear Felica coming up next from ESPN. This is The Look Ahead right here on VSIN, the sports betting network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Head on VSN, the sports betting network. Baseball predictions made brighter. Join the Born in a Ballpark Challenge presented by Blue Moon to compete free for cash all season. Enter weekly prediction pools to fight for your share of $62,500 in total cash prizes. At the DraftKings.com slash Blue Moon now to join the action. Blue Moon made brighter. 21 and over only terms and conditions and other eligible restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Please drink responsibly. Scott Sadenberg back here with you. This is the look ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. Some college football news. How about this? Uh, Texas Tech has struck a deal. I don't know if it's a deal, but. Um, the Matador Club, it's a local collective. Basically, it's a bunch of Texas Tech alumni, a bunch of rich people. Um, they told the Lubbock Avalanche Journal that they will sign 100 Texas Tech football players to one-year $25,000 NIL contracts. The deal will be, according to ESPN, for all 85 scholarship players and 15 Texas Tech walk-ons. So basically what's going to happen is every player is going to get $25,000 as like a base salary. And it does not exclude them from going out and earning other NIL deals. But 
this is something that it's very unique and I think it's I think it's great for these kids because now everyone's kind of like on an even playing field. So Joey McGuire, who's the first year head coach at Texas Tech, he was speaking at the Texas High School Coaches Association convention and he talked about the potential of NIL to disrupt locker rooms. And he said, quote, it's not at Texas Tech because I don't believe in that. I don't believe that you can have somebody come in that's never taken a snap in red and black. I don't understand that. That's not going to be us. There's going to be a pretty big deal coming from Texas Tech where we create some equality in our locker room. And I think that's important, end quote. And boy, equality they have created with every player getting this $25,000 NIL deal. Uh, Speaking of NIL, conference realignment is a big storyline as well. The Big 12 and the Pac-12 are not going to partner up, but the Big 10 certainly made waves. Let's welcome in uh, Chris, the Bear Felica uh, from ESPN. You see him on College Game Day all the time. He's on Twitter at Chris Felica, F-A-L-L-I-C-A. Joining us here on The Look Ahead, Chris, thanks so much for giving us uh, some time here on VSIN. And well, let's talk about the conference realignment. What was your initial reaction to the Big Ten moves? And where do you think all of this is going? Well, I, I was surprised to see that it was that it was two teams from the Pac-12, USC and UCLA, that that were the teams going to the to the Big Ten. You would have thought maybe it would have been a Notre Dame or, or, or someone along along that ilk that would have expanded the conference. Uh, but I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised because the, the writing on the wall for has been on the writing has been on the wall for this for a, for a couple of years now. Uh, with Oklahoma and Texas headed to the SEC, and I, I think ultimately we're kind of headed towards two big conferences, maybe one Big Ten centric and maybe one uh, SEC centric, and ultimately I think we're probably going to have something along the lines of like an AFC and an NFC, like professional football has, and uh, and that's how the playoff will be done. You got some divisions, and you'll actually have some some set rules as to. Maybe division winners get in, and you take two or three uh, wild card type teams. But but I don't I don't think they're done uh, expanding. Obviously, I think Notre Dame will be uh, a chip to fall somewhere along the line. What do you do with with Oregon, who's been uh, in Utah, two of the more successful teams uh, in the Pac-12 in recent years? What happens to Washington? So uh, like like there there are there are still some some questions left to uh, to be answered. But uh, I'm not necessarily a fan of it. But at the same time. Uh, you got to try and improvise and adjust and adapt to where the times are uh, because the gone are the days where you wake up on New Year's Day and you you, you watch the Citrus Bowl, the Outback Bowl, then you watch the, the Cotton Bowl, then the Rose Bowl, and then the uh, the Sugar Bowl and the Orange Bowl at night. Like the, the, Those days are gone. So uh, this is what we are, and is, is it great for the college football fan? Maybe not, uh, but, but at the same time, those of us who love the sport, uh, I think as the games go on, and we see how we see games being played. We'll we'll forget more and more about the realignment and just learn to fall in love with watching kids play again. 
I agree, and and I think it's been something that's coming. Obviously, you mentioned changing with the times. I mean, you can't ignore the money, and what we've seen over the past, maybe even more than a decade, Chris, is that uh, it, college football is no longer just a regional sport. The top recruits in the country are going to the same four to five schools. It's no longer, all right, you're a talented kid in California, you stay at USC. You're a talented kid in Texas, you stay at Texas. You're a talented kid in the Northeast, you go to Penn State. No. These kids are going to Alabama, they're going to Georgia, they're going to Ohio State, and if that's going to continue to be the course, then yeah, we we should be headed towards these mega conferences, but I think the bigger issue is just the lack of a central governing body Mm -hmm. in college football. Like We don't have a college football commissioner like the NFL has, so until we do that, these conferences just run themselves. I think that is going to be one of the reasons why we see this mega conference per se uh, around the Big Ten and the SEC. And Greg Sankey, I think, kind of hinted at it a little bit uh, during SEC media days about uh, reading between the lines. It almost looked like he was implying like a smaller Division One or a breakaway from the NCAA type of deal where they can kind of have their own governing body to handle their own officials, to handle – recruiting to handle the playoff to handle uh, NIL and that might be one of the things where you see this governing body get a grasp I'm just spitballing this out there because I've mm-hmm. given it some thought as to like is there an hour situation with this mega conference where everybody does get paid and a freshman gets a certain amount and a sophomore gets a certain amount and you go up the ladder and NIL turns into what it was really meant to be in the first place is kind of like this bonus for your on-field performance where you could be marketed uh, and, and you have a set value as opposed to what it's kind of turned into, which is buying recruits. How has the NIL, as well as the transfer portal, made it more challenging to handicap college football? Well, I, I think you've certainly gotten a later start on it more than anything because of kids leave coming and going and leaving uh, during the spring, and maybe some kids don't get in uh, until later. And I think it makes it a little bit harder because you just don't know how the parts are ultimately going to fit out. I mean, USC is the perfect example this year. We've seen some teams bring in a couple of guys. We've seen some teams revamp their coaching staff. But at the same time, like this is like the first time you've had complete revamp of the coaching staff complete revamp of at least the offense. And I'm curious to see how it goes with that. You bring in Lincoln Raleigh, you bring in Caleb Williams, you bring in Travis Stott, you bring in Addison. Like, they didn't bring anybody on defense. (laughs) They're going to find themselves, I think, in a lot of 45-40 types of games. But, I mean, mean, this is kind of where we are right now. And you hear about NIL and, obviously, the the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban feud, whatever you want to call it. That's out there. Uh, you, you hear it talk about Ryan Day saying, hey, we need to spend X amount of money in order to keep up with some of these other schools that are going NIL and, and, and portal heavy. So uh, I think as a handicapper, it make, you, you're, able to, you're not able to get as earlier of a start. and Maybe your numbers at the start of the season uh, may not be as good as what you're used to. Do you think it provides a challenge for uh, these 
teams to keep players. Uh, you know, you look at, I mean, I'm going to bring up Quinn Ewers in, as an example, right? So obviously he's got the massive NIL deal and transfers from Ohio State. Now he's at Texas. Well, Arch Manning's coming in next year. And while the 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 safe thought were to be that Ewers is the starter next year as well and Manning red shirts, but what if there's a case where they want Manning to start as a freshman? Then Ewers might just bounce and go to the next school where he'll get another NIL deal. Now, that that, that is a... I, I think that is one of the major concerns and issues w- w- with it, where kids they like they they get beat out, or a, a big name recruit comes in and they just bolt. And yeah, yeah, I understand kids want to play, but you're only you're, you're you, I don't want to say you're only an injury away from it happens, but things happen during the season. I mean, players may 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 slump. Someone might unfortunately get hurt, and there you are, thrust right into the limelight. I mean, Tate Martell, I think, was that guy yeah. who like the poster child for all these transfers. He was at Iowa State, and it was clear he was never going to play, and then he and he got an opportunity, and he showed he really couldn't play, and he went up and got like four different schools. So uh, a lot of times, the, the grass isn't necessarily greener uh, on the other side, and some of these new rules uh, that were put in to kind of uh, almost prevent the system kind of saving kids from themselves in some instances where sure I get it. Everybody thinks they're great. Everybody thinks they're going to go somewhere and start everybody. But at the same, it's not always that way. And I think some of the, some of the rules that maybe had been there, some of the safeguards about hey, take, if you if you leave, you're going to sit out a year, think about it. Is it worth it? Like, like with that, with that gone, I think you're getting kids making a lot more hasty decisions when it comes to that. I call it college football free agency. Is what yep, we have. That's now. where we are. Yep. Chris, uh, do me a favor, hang on through the break. Let's get into some teams coming up next, right here on the look ahead on VSIN. VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. Scott Satterberg back here with you. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network, rejoined now by Chris Bear Felica. You catch him on College Game Day variety of podcasts for ESPN as well. And uh, Chris, we uh, we talked about the state of college football. Let's get into some teams specifically. You had mentioned USC a little bit before, so let's talk about the Trojans and all the transition that they are going through, of course, Lincoln Rally and whatnot. Are they the class of the Pac-12 right now? It's hard to say that they, I mean, if you look at their talent, it's easy to say yes, but haven't we been able to say talent-wise uh, they've had the most talent in the Pac-12 uh, for, for a few years now, and it hasn't panned out, which is kind of an indictment, I think, more than anything on the coaching staff. So talent-wise, I would say yes, but at the same time, how do you ignore Utah, who is beating them like a drum uh, last year, and they return a majority of their players, and it should probably be the best offense that Utah uh, his hat under Kyle Whittingham. Uh, how do you ignore UCLA, which scored 60-something points on SC last year, and, and they returned Charbonnet and DTR? How do you ignore Oregon, which everybody's going to focus on Mario leaving, and you're going to focus on KT going to the draft, but defensively, that front seven is going to be really, really good. And I guess they say USC was to play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Like, uh, that would not be a cakewalk for for SC at all, so I, I, it's kind of a double-edged sword there, answer. Like, yes, I think on paper, you look at the talent and the offensive capability that they have, it's easy to say yes, 
But at the same time, that the SC that we have known over the last, I guess, uh, when uh, 2016 was when they made the Rose Bowl, the, the SC that we've known over the last six, seven years has been one to to lose games that they shouldn't necessarily lose and uh, and, and kind of not live up to expectations. Uh, I mean, people have asked me about their, their win total, which I think is at nine, nine and a half and nine and a half. They're nine and probably nine and three, 10 and two, probably around there because of the schedule. So that's not a, a win total I necessarily want to get involved in. If I had to play it, I would play the under because I think there is a good chance you lose to Notre Dame, mm-hmm. uh, you, you lose to S, you lose maybe to UCLA, and you find another loss in there uh, along the way. So I, I think their lack of defense could catch up with them a couple of times this year. Let's talk about Lincoln Riley's former team, Oklahoma. I love Dylan Gabriel. I loved him at UCF, but this is a completely new team. Uh, Venables takes over as the head coach. They shift to a defensive minded head coach and while that's going to benefit them because the defense was a weakness over the past several years, although you know last year they, they were a little bit better. I'm, I'm a little concerned with Oklahoma. What's your take on the Sooners and, and are they still the team to beat in that conference? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a lot concerned about Oklahoma and the first season win total bet uh, that I made was Oklahoma under nine and a half. Uh, but because I, I think if you look at the Sooners, uh, you lose essentially your entire defense from last year. And, and as you had mentioned, I mean, it has been improved um, from where it had been. You lose Caleb Williams. You lose a majority of your offensive playmakers. You have a, a first-time head coach coming in. And, and yes, you bring in Dylan Gabriel and you bring in Jeff Levy, who they have a relationship in the past from UCF. But I don't know, even with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and, and the great players that they've had, no team in the country won more games last year decided by a touchdown or less mm-hmm. than Oklahoma. Like, like, are, are they going to win every toss-up? I think they went 6-1 and one last year in games decided by a touchdown or less. Like, Are they going to get the, get those breaks every single time again? Like TCU is going to be better. Uh, Texas should be better. Iowa State may not be better, but... They've pulled upsets over Oklahoma in the past, and the game is in Ames. They've lost to Kansas State as three touchdown favorites multiple times. Baylor is, is, is going to continue to grow uh, under Dave Aranda. Oklahoma State should still be fine as long as Spencer Sanders stays healthy and they don't turn the ball over. Like I think the Big 12 uh, is a very deep conference, and there are so many toss-up games in there. Uh, I, I'm, it's funny because I'm under on Oklahoma 9.5, but at the same time, if you asked me, who the class of the conferences and who I would pick to beat them? I, I think I think it's that that's a hard question because I think there are, I, I think TCU could win the league. I think Texas could win the league, but you're not going to take Texas at five to two or whatever <laughs> they are. Uh, like, like, like Oklahoma State could. So like there are three or four teams in there that are very viable picks to to win that league if you're against Oklahoma like I am. Let's go to the ACC. Is there anybody that can win this conference besides Clemson? Well, I don't think it's a lock that Clemson bounces back from, from from what happened last year to what we've normally seen. Now, the schedule is very simple. I mean, not very simple, but it's as, as easy as yep. you're you're going to find. Like this is not a uh, a non conference schedule for Clemson that we've seen in the past. Yes, they have the game in South Bend later in the year, but 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 usually they have like a second game. They got the game against South Carolina, which I guess is still uh, a non conference game, and maybe the Gamecocks will be improved enough this year. Uh, to challenge that, but defensively, I think they'll be fine. But I'm not sure DJ Uncle bounces back to 
to what we saw a couple Chris, of years I, ago. Chris, let me tell you something. I've already placed a bet on Cade Klubnik, Cade Klubnik to win the Heisman Trophy because I think he's going to be the starter. <laughs> well, well he, I, I think Clemson fans hope you're right in that he's the starter because I don't think there are a lot of people out there that really – like if you look at the numbers as to how bad – DJ was last year. It's mind-boggling because he was so good against Notre Dame and yeah. DC when he had a play a couple of years ago. Like I don't know if it's happened with the receivers. Like they've gotten away from some of like the, the slot type guys that they've had in the past, and, and the offenses at work. But you bring in two new two new coordinators. I actually placed a bet. Like uh, again, if it's not Clemson, I think people are going to jump to Miami. Yep. I think the, yeah, I think the Hurricanes are still a year away because you got to remember all because these guys are signing or committing they're not very they're not contributing to to 2022 so i think miami's a year away i i got burned by north carolina last year and, and i'm actually i actually put a little a little uh, pocket change on north carolina I, I think i got 18 to 1 on the tar heels to win the league this year because you, you're just kind of looking for a team that could get to the ACC championship game, and in a one-game scenario, who the heck knows what, yeah, exactly. what could happen? Like their their defense was so bad last year. He brings in Gene Chizik to help kind of fix that um, defensive problems that they had last year. Maybe the, the pressure on the offensive side was was too much, and and they but but Josh Downs is still a great wide receiver. They were bad up front on both sides of the ball. Hopefully, uh, bringing back a bunch of guys will improve that. And I think the schedule kind of plays out to to a point where they could be in position to get to, to the ACC championship game. And if you're holding 16, 18 to one uh, in a one game situation, you got a ticket that you can potentially play with. So uh, the, the, the Tar Heels would be my team uh, as, as a long shot to potentially win the ACC if you're looking to try and beat Clemson. Who's the third best team in the SEC? Okay, let's see. Obviously, we're I throwing think, Alabama I, and Georgia yeah, as the top two. So think, who's think, number I three? Think the, I think the obvious answer to everybody uh, is going to be Texas A&M. Uh-huh. But I, I'm going to throw a curveball and say LSU. Ooh. Um, yeah. I, 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 I am actually a fan of the Brian Kelly hire. I know a lot of people kind of roll their, roll their eyebrows at the fake Cajun accent and the, the weird <laughs> dancing on the, on the recruiting <laughs> platform with a bunch of players. But But – they have a ton of talent. And if you go back in Brian Kelly's tenure uh, at Notre Dame, when he was favored, they didn't lose. They weren't upset. When he had the better team and they were expected to win, I think he was like 43-1 and one in like the last 44 games as a favorite. Like it was a ridiculous number. So like he's going to have a better team, more talent. Basically, every time he steps on the field, with the exception of like when he plays Alabama, or Georgia, or maybe at A and M, maybe they could be an underdog, or at Ole Miss, they could be an underdog. Uh, but, but, but I think LSU still has players. I think A and M, kind of like I was talking about with Miami. I think they're kind of a a year away. They lost some key guys. Uh, they have a quarterback situation that's unanswered. Um, losing Spiller at running back, and now they got they got A chain is, is is still a uh, is a great back. You lose the uh, Leal and, and Johnson on that defensive side of the ball. Again, great signing class, but they're not there yet, or they're coming in as true freshmen. So they might be one, and only uh, one, only once since Johnny left have they won both games in the same season against Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So they need to take care of games like that 
before they can ultimately uh, get to an SEC championship game. So I'll, I'll, I'll throw you a curveball there and say LSU. I don't hate it. Chris, I could do this for hours, man. I appreciate the time and the insight. Always love talking with you, man, and hope to do it again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Happy to talk to you. There he is, Chris Felica, the Bear. From ESPN's College Game Day, Stanford Steve and the Bear, the podcast as well from ESPN. Great job there breaking down college football. Let's get into the Major League Baseball All-Star Game coming up next as it's really the only thing that we got going on here on Tuesday evening. From Dodger Stadium, we'll talk about the odds, the total as well, and my favorite play for the All-Star Game coming up next. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Take the visa and experts with. the Sports Betting Network. Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vcin.com to check the current betting splits data. Want to know where the money and bets are moving every game? The betting splits page is updated every 10 minutes, so you can see changes in all the action. Find out where the public is betting based on the number of tickets and where the money doesn't match the public opinion. You can check out not just today's action, but future events as well. Betting splits are another way VSIN is here to make you a smarter, better year-round. Check out today's betting splits for every game at vsin.com. Scott Seidenberg back here with you. This is the look ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. The Major League All-Star game is Tuesday night in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium. And even though it's at a National League ballpark, the American League is the home team for this game. Here are your lineups. For the American League, Shohei Otani will lead off as the designated hitter. Aaron Judge of the Yankees will be your right fielder batting second. Rafael Devers of the Red Sox will bat third and play third base, while Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Blue Jays bats fourth and will play first. 
Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees bats fifth and will play left field. Byron Buxton of the Twins batting sixth, playing center field. He is the injury replacement for Mike Trout. Tim Anderson of the White Sox will bat seventh, playing short. Andres Jimenez of the Guardians, the injury replacement for Jose Altuve, will bat eighth, excuse me, and uh, play second. And Alejandro Kirk, the catcher for the Blue Jays, will bat ninth. And Shane McClanahan of the Rays, your current favorite for the American League Cy Young Award, will start the game as the pitcher. For the National League, Ronald Acuna of the Braves will lead off playing right field. Mookie Betts of the Dodgers bats second, playing center. Manny Machado of the Padres bats third and plays third. Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals is batting cleanup, playing first base. Trey Turner of the Dodgers batting fifth, playing short. Wilson Contreras of the Cubs batting sixth is the catcher. William Contreras, Wilson Contreras' brother, will be the designated hitter batting seventh. He is the injury replacement for Bryce Harper, William Contreras of the Braves. Jock Peterson will bat eighth and play left field of the Giants. And Jeff McNeil of the Mets will play second and bat ninth. He is the injury replacement for Jazz Chisholm of the Marlins. Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers gets the start on the hill, although part of me feels for Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins, who has been the best pitcher on the planet this season. He's the runaway favorite for the National League Cy Young Award. There is something sentimental about the guy getting the start in his home ballpark. Max Scherzer did it at Nationals Park a couple of years ago, and it's like, all right, it's the All-Star game. It's Los Angeles. Clayton Kershaw deserves to pitch in this game. Let's let him throw the first inning. The only thing that I'd say I hold against this decision is because the American League is the home team, actually Shane McClanahan's going to start the game, right? He's the first pitcher to take the mound. The National League will bat first. I, if I could see if it was the American League batting first and Kershaw's the first person to take the mound. First pitch of the All-Star game is Clayton Kershaw at Dodger Stadium. Yeah, it's pretty significant. That kind of means something. But because the AL is the home team, eh, I, don't, I don't really feel it. I think Brian Snicker probably should have just gone with Sandy Alcantara. But uh, the American League right now, is a slight underdog. National League at minus 115, American League minus 105, but the total is where we have to attack this all-star game. Some books have eight on the board. Other books have moved to seven and a half. Shop around. If you can find an eight, play the under. Here's what I love about the all-star game unders. First of all, history's on our side. 12 of the last 15 All-Star games have gone under the posted total. The last time that we had seen a double-digit total in an All-Star game was in 2018, an 8-6 win for the American League that needed extra innings. In fact, in that game, only eight runs were scored going into the bottom of the ninth inning. So the total of eight here, I love the under. Over the last 15 All-Star games, there have been an average of only 6.87 runs scored. Pitching has 
dominated. And let me just read off this list. In the American League, Paul Blackburn of the A's, Nestor Cortez of the Yankees, Alec Manoa of the Blue Jays, Shane McClanahan of the Rays, Shohei Otani of the Angels, although I don't know if he's going to pitch or not, Martin Perez of Texas, Framber Valdez of Houston, Emmanuel Classe of Cleveland, Liam Hendricks of Chicago, Clay Holmes of the Yankees, Jorge Lopez of Baltimore, Gregory Soto of Detroit. In the National League, Sandy Alcantara of Miami, Tyler Anderson, Dodgers, Luis Castillo, Cincinnati, Tony Gonsolin, Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers, Miles Michaelis of St. Louis, Joe Musgrove of San Diego, David Bednar of Pittsburgh, Edwin Diaz of New York, Ryan Helsey of St. Louis, Joe Mantiply of Arizona, Devin Williams of Milwaukee. Dominant pinching staffs on both sides. And you're going to keep refreshing pitchers. There's going to be a new pitcher every inning. And there might be two pitchers in one inning. You're going to get guys, it's going to happen. So it's going to be difficult for these players who are only going to get one, maybe two at-bats in this game to score off of these dominant pitchers who are going to come in for one inning and just say, what the heck? This is my opportunity to shine on the game's biggest stage in front of this audience going up against the best players. Yeah, it's a source of pride, more so for the pitchers than the hitters. Hitters go up there knowing it's difficult to hit, right? You could, you could fail seven out of ten times and you're a Hall of Fame player as a hitter. That's a batting average comment, by the way, because a 300 batting average is good. But as a pitcher, you measure yourself against the great hitters. And so the pitchers want to dominate more so than the hitters want to succeed. Yeah, the hitters are going up there, and it'll be nice to take a guy deep, right? And maybe that's what happens in an all-star game, is a guy goes up there at the plate, and it's a marquee matchup against an elite pitcher, and he's thinking, boy, it'll be great to take him deep. So he's not just trying to put the ball in play. He's not trying to foul a pitch off. He's not trying to spray the ball the other way or shoot it into the the, the gaps or whatever, hit the ball down the line, beat the shift. No, he's thinking long ball, which is going to lead to some strikeouts. We all know that Major League Baseball is just an under game nowadays anyway, right? There's far too few outcomes. It's just a walk, a home run, or a strikeout majority of the time now in Major League Baseball. So I love the under if you can get it at eight. Now, the big caveat here is how will the books grade the game should it be tied after nine innings? In case you are unaware, there will be no extra innings. Major League Baseball has announced that to break a tie, it's going to go to a home run derby. Kind of like a shootout in soccer and in hockey. It's just going to be a home run derby to determine the winner. Each sports book is going to have to decide how they're handling this. Do you treat it like a shootout in hockey where whichever team goes on to win just gets that one extra goal, or in this case, it's going to be one extra run? So let's say it's 3-3 after nine innings, and the American League wins the home run derby tiebreaker. Does the American League win the game 4-3? And does the books count that as 4-3? Or do they add the home runs? Because it's only three swings each. So could this game shoot over the posted total just because of the amount of uh, home runs that are hit? 
that's very curious to, to, to wonder about. We do have an answer, though, from Jeff Benson here at Circa. Uh, Jeff Benson here at Circa answered uh, our good friend Steve Fezzik, who had tweeted out, what's the final score? Is it 3-3? Is it 4-3? Is it 6-5? Like, depending on the amount of home runs that are hit. And uh, Jeffrey Benson from here at Circa tweeted out, our stipulations on the betting sheets are the game is graded at the conclusion of eight and a half or nine innings. The home run derby has no impact on the final score, meaning he says, I'm treating it like a soccer game for reference. And what that means is the totals regulation only. So if Circa posts the total of eight, it's only nine innings. If it's 4-4, tied after nine, the bet is graded as a push. Coming up this morning on Follow the Money, Matt Stinchcomb, ESPN and SEC Network Analyst, joins the program. Bobby Valentine, former Major League Manager, will join the program at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And then Aaron Wilson from Pro Football Network joins the program as well. It's all coming up this morning on Follow the Money. You can follow me, Scott Seidenberg, on Twitter at ScottsOnAir. S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. We're going under in the All-Star Game on Tuesday night. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.